My name is Katie Lee. My name is Malachi. And, and this, this is, is Connectional. Connectional is a podcast of the Minnesota Annual Conference, the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church uses the word connectionalism and calls it a vital web of interactive relationships. You can find us on Facebook and wherever else you find your podcast. Okay, let's start the show. Hi, Susie. We're so grateful to have you here today in our very special COVID edition, COVID-19 edition <laughs> of the Connectional Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. First time caller, long time listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. This is uh, just giving me so much of a thrill. I would love to be a future radio host someday. Actually, I don't know. Seems like you'd have to wake up really early to do that. Probably. So for this special edition where none of us are in the same room right now, Malachi, where are you right now? Uh, in my bedroom. Oh, excellent. I'm sitting. I have heard that being in your closet is good recording space, but my closet's too messy. So I'm sitting next to my closet on the floor. It <laughs> <laughs> probably defeats the purpose, but at least I have like all my walls around me and my bed is muffling some things. So where are you, Susie? I am um, sheltered in place in my office here at the St. Cloud Hospital. Um, door closed. Every phone or pager or item I have to silence is presently silenced, but no promises. <laughs> and uh, are have you done? Um, have you been on any sort of podcast before? Um, no, this is um, this is new territory. Great. I'm yep. appropriately nervous. <laughs> you are going to do great. You have a face and a voice for radio. I'm just kidding. But um, I'm grateful. <laughs> love, you, love you too. Right. Susie, Susie called me the other day, Malachi, and was like, left me a message. And, and Susie's one of the funniest people I know. And Susie left me a message that was like, hi, you might remember me. We got ordained together. <laughs> I was like, of course I remember you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we were, before before you came on, Katie, we were talking about that's why I met both of you was right after you both got ordained, and then you invited me, a complete stranger, to your reception. Oh right, <laughs> free food. Oh, that's right. You, you told me that there reception. would be tacos. I forgot about that. Yeah, free tacos. We did yeah. a shared reception. That was fun. I don't want us to run out of time. I want to respect your time since you're at work, Susie. But the way that this podcast has been working is we do 30 questions in 30 minutes. And I guess I've already asked you one question, which was the kind of where are you? Um, and maybe you want to do a more full introduction. of. So what is it you do out there at the St. Cloud Hospital? Well, um, so presently I am employed here at the St. Cloud Hospital as a full-time chaplain. I spent maybe the first eight-ish years um, just kind of as a, a generalist chaplain. I kind of saw all people in all places all over throughout the hospital. In the last year plus, maybe year and a half, um, I've been working exclusively with the palliative care team here at the hospital. It's an interdisciplinary team. So um, I have my colleagues down in the spiritual care department who are all um, chaplains, but I am working on a team that is interdisciplinary doctors, nurses, um, social workers, and, and all, all sorts of people. But we're kind of a team that go around and, and kind of see 
Um, the sicker of the sick, I guess, by definition, involved in the care of people who have a serious illness or a life-limiting illness and um, do a lot of work in helping them kind of do goals of care, kind of family conversations on a normal day. You know, we're sitting down with patients and their families um, and having some pretty big conversations. However, all of the books and um, strategies that we've kind of typically used to do this work have kind of been thrown out the window now during um, this COVID crisis, if you will. Why, why is so, that? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Why are things thrown well, out the window? Well, one of the, the biggest changes in the last um, two weeks has been that we have eliminated visitors um, from our hospital. If you can picture your normal experience doing pastoral ministry in the hospital setting, um, there's tons of traffic, like the community is here. In addition to, um, you know, St. Cloud Hospital is, is um, a pretty large hospital in this area. And so I think we are a city in ourselves, just the staff, but um, normally we have family members and community members and volunteers and nursing students and CPE students and all sorts of different people roaming about this um, facility. But right now it is literally just staff. Um, some of our patients who are very seriously ill, maybe actively dying, um, have been granted permission sort of to have one person at their bedside. But but they're being very strict about um, who meets that criteria and what we are allowing. And just as the days continue, um, those restrictions are becoming a bit more strict, if that makes sense. Yeah. So how is that changing how you're doing your job? Oh, my gosh. It's totally changing how I do my job. I often, like, we'll say, okay, well, as chaplains, we're here for patients. But the doctors and nurses are working really hard to take care of our patients we often um, kind of assume the role of taking care of that patient's family members. So a lot of sure. my interactions tend to be with family. Um, so, so to some degree that's happening because my patients are, are typically meeting criteria to have one person at their bedside, but I'm doing a lot more over the phone, um, calling and checking in on family, just asking how they might be feeling, what kind of support might be helpful, like while we mutually acknowledge the awkwardness um, <laughs> of this time, right? Yeah. At first, I thought it was going to be really sad for our patients who are dying. But what I am finding to be the most challenging are those patients with whom we are actively making like really big decisions, like life or death decisions. Um, and and we're doing that with just the patient or we're doing it with a family over the phone. Mm, yeah. Super un uncomfortable as far as, you know, it's just hard. It's hard and different. Uh, Susie, all of this sounds very, I mean, the role of a chaplain is heavy to begin with, uh, but all of this sounds uh, like the weight of your role has been sort of amplified in the middle of this crisis. So how are you taking care of yourself in the midst of this. Yay, Susie, self-care question. You love it. <laughs> I think Katie and I were on the phone the other day and she, in a roundabout way, was like, just checking in to see how you're doing. And I said, are you seriously asking me the self-care question right now? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, um, totally fair. So correct, Malachi. I, I think crisis is a word that I have used um, along with the word weird. I've used those two words more in the last week and a half than I have probably used in my lifetime. Um, 
Yeah, like, so yes, all my patients are in crisis, and they're having their personal crisis during this world crisis. And I guess, um, obviously, I am inconvenienced by the new changes and restrictions. Like, um, you know, as a mom, my kids are without childcare, or, you know, it's, they have childcare, um, thanks to Governor Walls and other people who are saying, hey, can you take care of these people's families? Um, but it's, it's been some required some navigating and some switching and, and um, figuring some things out. Um, and I think my main crisis is that I am like an off the chart, chart extrovert and I am <laughs> feeling very isolated. Um, fortunately, though, to, to actually address self-care, I my coworkers are also my friends. And for that, I am so immensely grateful Um this would be really hard to not have people alongside of me doing this work, partnering with other people. Um, we just today um, labeled one of our drawers in our communal office a uh, um, disaster pre- emergency preparedness drawer. Um, and if you open that up, you'll find Oreos and Twizzlers and jelly beans and mints and chocolate um, and, and a plethora of ice cream toppings. So in that regard, we're, we're doing that as well. We're calling it the quarantine 15. Um, and who, but I also have learned to use like zoom. This is like big girl stuff. Like I don't, um, you know, I have a accountability buddy, um, uh, uh, best friend that I'm checking in with every day um, just to make sure that I'm still sane. And so that's been super helpful. Um, and just, you know, kind of being mindful of, of what is happening right now. That's really, really good. And and those things are helping sustain me. Does it, um, I mean, and another kind of roundabout question, I guess what I, what I want to kind of get to is what drew you to chaplaincy, but, and part of that, I guess it's sort of a two part, like what drew you to chaplaincy and is the season of crisis like this making you more affirmed in your call to chaplaincy or is it making you like regret it a little bit? Um, um, no regrets off, <laughs> off the bat because um, I don't think it's any more or less complex than those of you who are um, serving the local church. Um, and I have sat um, side by side with many local church pastors and um, we have exchanged the mutual blessing of like, I'm so glad I'm not doing what you're doing. <laughs> The call to ministry, you know, happened first, right? Um, and, I, and I found myself in seminary hearing all of these people in my vocation and formation group talking about kind of what they wanted to be when they grew up. And they were just, they, they knew, you know, they were going to um, teach theology at the college level, or they were going to be serving in a hospital setting, or they were going to be bishop or pope or, or who knows. Um, and I was always kind of perplexed that they were so they had that certitude, like that was nothing that I had, like out mm. of the gate. I love that. Um, I, I'd also heard rumors that in the Minnesota Annual Conference, man, if that board is not super impressed, they might send you back to do a unit of CPE. And my plan <laughs> was to beat them to the punch and do a unit of CPE. So if they um, took issue with me, um, at least that wasn't the problem. <laughs> Um, but out of out of that first unit of CPE, it was like, oh man, it was like a conversion experience, right? My heart was strangely warm, you might say, but 
<laughs> but I was like, oh my gosh, um, this, this is really good work. I feel that my gifts for ministry um, kind of line up with the needs in this setting. And when I worked as like more of a generalist chaplain, that sounds sort of disparaging, but I don't mean it to. But um, when I was working more as, I don't know how else to say it, I guess. When I was working more as a generalist, I felt, oh gosh, this job is really utilizing my education. This is really utilizing kind of where I came from and what I've been taught. When I started working in palliative care, I felt that not only was my education being used, but my personality was being used. Um, and that's really exciting. And I haven't found a place um, where I get that as much as I have it here in the hospital setting. So no regrets. Um, it's just sort of on steroids now because <laughs> energy is high, anxiety is high. Um, yeah. Are you listed as uh, one of the, like, like if, if it gets down to the wire more and more, are you and the chaplains, other people in your department listed as essential employees? Are you going to be sent home when it becomes a non-essential versus essential in the hospital world? I mean, have you had that conversation? Um, those conversations um, have been starting. Um, so far, I am proud to report that I am still essential. Um, how, long, how long will I be essential? I'm not sure. I think, you know, um, from a chaplain perspective, we could argue um, that our, like, that our value, you know, we are as valuable as we've ever been, maybe more. Um, in this time where patients are feeling super isolated, super stressed, and they don't have a support person beside them to kind of share the load of what's going on. Um, also, they don't have anybody to point out beauty or hope. They're just kind of isolated and sitting in their own space. So one could make the argument that we are as essential as ever or more in the work of palliative care. Um, that will be interesting um, because a lot of the work that we do is help people decide what type of medical care they want in the future and what their hard limits are. And so there's a lot of talk and a lot of um, mumblings about, you know, will we have adequate supplies? What will our supply of ventilators look like? Who gets a vent? Who doesn't get a vent? Um, fortunately, I am not making that decision, mm -hmm. but um, a lot of our team does the work of saying, okay, you know, we default at the hospital to like throw everything at you. That's the, that's the default of healthcare is we do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And in palliative, we kind of stop the train for a moment to kind of say, is this, are we on the right track or are we wanting to kind of make a change, maybe focus more on our comfort? So in that setting, we could maybe prevent people from going on these machines and having these escalated levels of care um, because they didn't want it anyway. Mm -hmm. And then they're not occupying those resources for the people who may be coming in. Wow. Those for sound so many like people. really hard decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're horrible decisions, I think. Um, so I think what this is just talk, and I'm not an expert, and I definitely don't speak for the hospital for very good reasons. Um, but they are kind of working to establish a rubric as to like how they would kind of scale and rate certain things like that, so that the doctor who's caring for a patient isn't the one who has to make those decisions, should they need to be made. 
um, they can just keep advocating and providing good care for for a, a patient. So, yeah, I think if I talk too more, then I'm getting myself in trouble. <laughs> right. Wow. What? So, I mean, how is it that you have the energy to have such challenging conversations with people, these kind of end of life conversations? Like what, I mean, it must be something that is life-giving in some way to you or you wouldn't do it. So what, what is it that gives you energy around those conversations? Yeah, that's a fabulous question, Katie, that I don't know that I have a beautiful answer for, <laughs> but um, I think I know that my energy has and probably will continue to always come from people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I outed myself as an off-the-chart extrovert earlier. Um, that This is life-giving to me to be in relationships and, and have these conversations. Um, I am not scared of the content of these conversations. I'm not uncomfortable with the content of these conversations. I think that's certainly helpful. Um, plus, I've been in enough of them to know that it can be a really beautiful experience to um, be an advocate, be an advocate for somebody to get, you know, the outcome that they hope for. Like, I'm with a lot of people when they die, but people, these people are dying well and on their terms. And so that's very fulfilling. Yeah. If, yeah. If I can say that. Yeah. I think you can say that. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in ministry. It's mostly people in the United Methodist Church in the Minnesota world who have been listening to these. And so I think a lot of people who get kind of having a, <laughs> you know, that sort of slightly sick sense where like, and, and by like sick, I mean like kind of crazy, but also maybe sixth sense of like, there's, I don't know, there's something, there's something can, that can be really fulfilling in ministry about some of the hardest things that you do. And I think maybe it's just because not everyone wants to do it. And so there's something fulfilling about being able to be present and helpful in a pretty um, unique and rare situation where not a lot of, you know, filling a role that not a lot of people are willing to do. And when you're willing to do it, you can find some pretty precious parts of life that not everybody gets to experience. Audience and context, right? I'm not bragging about it at the grocery store. In fact, if I see you in a grocery store and I jump in a, you know, aisle or hide in an end cap, it's because (laughs) I'm not sure what feeling you associate by seeing my presence and remembering my face. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. Because you live in kind of a smaller town, right? I I do. Um, Fortunately, St. Cloud is, um, you know, most Minnesota clergy have um, found it on the map at some point. (laughs) I was just going to say that, you know, if God has given you the gifts to do that difficult work well, uh, then I think it's more than okay to feel fulfilled by it, even if it sometimes feels icky. Uh, Because like, it's a job that has to be done. There's a need for it. And if you have been given the gifts and the talents uh, and the wherewithal to be able to do that heavy and deep work often, I mean, bravo for you. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I apply the fact that you're you're willing uh, to do such hard work for people you know, as, as a pastor, all of us do this work sometime, occasionally when our people get sick or in the hospital or depend on us for these decisions, but you do it uh, on a regular basis. And that's a lot. So, you know, you know, I think very highly of you and those in your profession for the work that you do. Oh, thanks, Mel. Okay. <laughs> so how are you, um, how else are you all preparing for the, the more outbreaky things to come besides your emergency candy drawer? <laughs> <laughs> 
God, well, that's first and foremost, the most yeah. um, God, you know, I think everybody is kind of, I was going to say sitting down and talking more regularly, but really we are all phoning in <laughs> to a conference line and having a conversation. Um, I, I think we're just having, we're just talking about it a lot more because we just don't know. And in this setting, it's like every maybe three to six hours, we might receive an email and the rules change or like our strategy changes as to what's going on. You know, for a while we were operating the drive through testing like a lot of other areas were. Um, but then, you know, now we're shortage of tests. So that's changed and this is how we're responding. So a lot of um, working to stay in the loop, um, talking through a lot of hypotheticals. Um, and just kind of, yeah, I, we haven't resorted to playing like jock jams in the morning. (laughs) Pump up a little eye of the tiger. (laughs) One of our, one question that we like just, you know, can move us a little away from some of the COVID seriousness, uh, is what's somewhere that, or like, what's something that gives you a lot of joy, Susie? Hmm. A lot of joy, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, I like find joy everywhere because I just need to like um, it is like a energy source for me. I mean, certainly in this work, we use humor to cope all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, good, bad or otherwise. But we are constantly um, creating memes or um, pranking one another to just (laughs) stay stay in the game. Um, So and I just I really, really have some fabulous um colleagues in ministry both here at the hospital and outside um and it's just they are relationships um first and i think co-workers second and so that is just super fulfilling and super energizing and just keeps me keeps me happy I love that. Uh, yeah what? also a lot of coffee because <laughs> that in itself is a spiritual experience <laughs> I love that. Did you, what's, what's one of your favorite pranks that you all have done? Um, well, um, we've kind of switched to cell phones, but not that long ago, we were all wearing pagers. Some of some, some people still are, um, a common page, um, that I'd like to send is, um, eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine as an extension <laughs> to call back. Um, that's one. We recently, um, moved offices and um, everything was in disarray and all of our uglies came out, you know, we're all like fighting over file cabinets and things. It was very intense. Um, And we went into our boss's office and sort of labeled all of her possessions that we would like to have in the move um, unbeknownst to her. Um, Even pictures of her children, you know, as to which one of us would be claiming those items and things. But it's just constant frivolity. Really. <laughs> I, I have a habit of stealing bedpans on occasion and giving them as gifts, like turning them into hats. I mean, we, we're just creative. <laughs> Sounds very creative. Uh, one, one of the questions that we normally ask is one of my favorites is, what's the most sacred or most holy place you've ever been? Hmm. Aside from my favorite coffee shop in St. Joseph, Minnesota, shout out to the local blend mm. who has amazing gluten-free pastries. Um, girl, you know, I'm torn. So, 
like the little attainable place would be uh, Luther Point Bible Camp in Grantsburg, Wisconsin. Um, that was like my summer home for like five years. Um, that place will always be kind of sacred and holy to me. It is sort of where I came to understand um, my call to ministry and also maybe like five summers later came to accept <laughs> that call mm. to ministry. <laughs> Um, and so that I can just picture, um, special places all over that place that are super meaningful to me. Um, surprisingly, um, I went to the Holy Land, right? Which is supposed to be the Holy Land. Um, and, and I was too busy, like picking up the pieces of all my constructs that were shattered while I was there. Um, <laughs> I went as a senior in college um, oh, with wow. the Minnesota Annual Conference. I got to go with Bishop Sally Dick, and it was great, and it was super fun, and it was like new clergy, seasoned clergy, and then like this punk college <laughs> kid that was myself. Um, and, and I remember being at the Wailing Wall, and I and I I this is going to change your opinion about me, but you know it, that was a very neat um, experience. Um, but I thought I was particularly brilliant. I put a blank piece of paper in the wailing wall so that I could change my prayer whenever <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> so, so that's that's right out there. Um, I like the way you think. Wasn't it brilliant? I mean, word on the street is it really was. You know, evacuate all the little pieces of paper and bury them, and so there's room for other people to stick their prayers. But I feel like I just kind of have the edge on that, and I can just change it, you know, anytime <laughs> I want. Well, Susie, it's funny that you know one of your places was a summer camp uh, because I was a camp counselor, and it's like a very common place. Lots of folks would answer that question. Uh, with a summer camp or a camp that they've worked at or were a camper at. What do you think it is about camp and retreat ministries uh, that gives people such a connection to God? Well, I don't know. I feel like there's probably a thousand. I mean, my earliest experience was like two counselors who um, just were amazing examples of just um, following God bravely and kind of doing ministry in that context. And I just really idolized them. Um, and, and I just thought that that was such a great opportunity for people to kind of practice vulnerability, to practice leadership, to kind of get comfortable in their faith. And um, so I definitely love, love that aspect about camp. Um, being um, on staff, um, was a different experience than a camper. And I know my light bulb moment, if you will, was literally somebody like speaking to us directly about call and vocation and like, hey, have you given any thought to who the clouds of witnesses in your life might be? And like basically put on their little PowerPoint slideshow, Susie, are you hearing me? Like Susie, <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it, I would love to give you an example of some like subtle experience but it was really like book on the head like <laughs> duh um but yeah camp is so 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 flipping powerful and i think it's just that mountaintop experience that you know we didn't have to travel far to have um and it's a safe safe space hopefully where um people can share and talk and explore and just you get to practice um 
doing ministry as a camper and you get to practice in a different way when you're serving as a counselor. Um, it's super, super cool. I can't wait for um, my kids to have that experience too. Cause you basically live at summer camp, right Susie? Well, yeah, basically um, my family and I live in Painesville and basically uh, the assembly grounds or, or Camp Cronus is, is our backyard. <laughs> Um, or front yard sort of or neighbor um, but yes so that would be a great opportunity for all of those of you who are hanging out there to give me a call and and we could be friends um, yeah but yes no we do not have a campfire at my house and sing songs every night but I mean that's something <laughs> yeah that's good what's been changing with your uh what's been going on with your family for this uh, quarantine time? How is it having little kids right now? Well, it's a special treat. <laughs> um, as many people probably know. Um, I, I fortunately love my children, um, but I do wonder if that will survive a quarantine. Um, you know, my life and theirs hasn't changed too drastically much because I'm still coming to work every day in the building that I work. Um, I'm dropping one of my sons off at, at the Kid Stop, the child care program at his school. So though he doesn't have school, his day is not changing a ton. And then we thought, why not expose our family to twice as many germs and send our other child to another school for child care? Um, our youngest son is four, and so not everybody is taking kids his age. And our little home daycare closed because of this um, for fair and valid reasons, but um, so our little guy was a bit more displaced um, as a result. My husband is doing his job, but he is doing his job totally different. Um, he owns a school bus company, and so instead of picking up kids, they're distributing food to kids. So his schedule and work kind of increased and got more complicated, um, despite the fact that schools are closed. Oh, that's so interesting. They're giving food out instead. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah, I think in this period of rapid adjustment, a lot is being asked of lots of people uh, in this moment uh, to do yeah, things like that. Like stepping outside your job, your normal job, but to do something completely different. That I actually just read an article about that that was saying, like, if we're to do to handle this crisis in the way that some of the countries who've handled it best so far handle it, one of the things is to have more of us citizens be trained better to just like have useful skills like <laughs> like have training. yeah i think they're doing that on like a micro level here at the hospital they've created this work pool so i could say you know what um i'm off saturdays and sundays typically put me in the work pool and then they would reassign me to do some other task like to help sustain the functioning of the hospital oh. Like, it's sort of a lottery. Like, who knows? Like, I could be, um, I think it'd be really fun to flip burgers in the cafeteria. <laughs> I think it'd be interesting to do um, the work of our, um, you know, custodial staff. Like, I'm not so sure that I want to be, uh, you know, doing the dirty jobs. But um, I, I think it's interesting. And I'm intrigued. And I kind of want to say, hey, sign me up. Because... What else can I do? And I think if we could do that outside of these settings and, and everybody was thinking, okay, how does my role have to change to show up and support 
you know, our community or our church or whatever. And I'm seeing that all over online. You know, I'm watching my friends do amazing jobs at taking their church services online, creating different experiences for um, kids in their congregations and ways to reach out to the community. I think this is, you know, one really good thing is coming out of this. It's forcing us to think outside the box and think about the ways in which we communicate, like, kindness and faith and hope and love and healing and what does that mean I think that's super cool yeah well Susie I was also going to ask you one other question just up the top of my head that's not really relevant but how's your head oh <laughs> well thanks for asking <laughs> well you did tell me I had a phone for radio so you could about imagine <laughs> Um, my head is okay. I, it is not the same that it was a year ago today. Um, I had a random medical event, like an unexplained syncope episode where I just kind of, well, I woke up on my kitchen floor. Unfortunately, my kitchen floor was tile. Um, and so I did suffer, um, you know, my doctor likes to use traumatic brain injury. I prefer like post-concussion syndrome, um, cause post-concussive syndrome doesn't have as many negative connotations as, um, walking around with a brain injury, but, um, yeah, I, I will probably never be the same, but I am as close to normal as I have ever been. Um, <laughs> but I just have to pace myself. I still suck at reading. That's like one of the side effects, you know, initially it's like sound and light that bothers you and different things and ways you're affected. My balance totally sucked. I walked around like a drunken sailor for several months. Um, but now I'm just waiting for my ability to like read books to come back and not read the same paragraph over mm. and over again. Thank God it didn't happen while you were in seminary, I guess, if it had to happen at some point. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Um, I, ca I cannot imagine. But I did, you know, some good, obviously, you know, to quote somebody's mother somewhere, there's nothing so bad that a little good didn't come out of it. Um, I... I I learned a lot in that time um, about like getting help and asking for help and relying on other people. Um, and then one of the most unbearable lessons that I am still working to learn is just that slowing down. Um, and I think that's kind of, we're in a forced state of that, you know, we're talking all about COVID-19 and isolating and like social or physical distancing, like, we're all sort of being asked to slow the heck down. And for some of us, that comes more naturally than others. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. and, but, it, but it does, it forces us to kind of be present in the moment and to also kind of take a look at the world a little differently in ways that are not all bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Susie, I, one question that we like to ask people, that's one of my favorites is, uh, who are three people who inspire you? Ooh, um, you guys could have sent these in advance. Yeah. <laughs> um, like to catch them. So three. So so there's a few there's a few people that come to mind. Um, number one would be uh, a mentor that I had um, growing up. She was my high school youth pastor. Um, has always been like tried and true, just super. Um, a strong and passionate woman. And um, she taught me things, um, you know, like that all youth pastors teach their kids, I think, but she also modeled for me um, just how to kind of like 
stay your ground and to, to stand up for what you believe in. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, another person that inspires me um, in more like recent relevant, like literature times, um, Gal, do I have a collection of Brene Brown books? I know other people have referenced her, so she should be like supporting this podcast financially at this point. Um, but I'm a huge fan of her work and, and the charge and the challenge to like dare greatly and be vulnerable. Like, um, I've just a lot of good things for me have come out of her work. Um, and also, um, on like a mushy gushy level, I would say, um, one of my dearest friends, Leah. Um, also clergy in this conference has has been such an inspiration to me I just learned so much from her she is one of the most grateful people that I know and you can't be around her and not appreciate the world differently Um, so she is like kind of that person in my life who's constantly um, inspiring me to do better to be better to to be on top of my friend game and be you know um, good in return and and give back and so I guess those would be my yeah three off the that's top. great I saw that Leah it looked like like we've been seeing a lot of people set up for online worship and stuff and I saw I don't know if it was for a devotion or for Sunday worship but she kind of looked like she had like a cool like yogi hippie setup and it looked really cool I haven't had time to actually explore it I just saw on social media a quick a quick glance at her cool curly uh-huh. hair and her like kind of sheets all laid out with patterns oh they did such a good job they did such a good job you know everybody's doing this turnaround to like in-person worship to like online worship and um she nailed it um she worked really hard to figure it out and pull people in and it's awesome it's a it's a the sunny school kids the previous week were asked to build a a blanket fort or to build a fort and so she did children's time from a fort that she in the sanctuary yeah it was very mr rogers very mr rogers of her but oh man i i'm so proud like they they nailed it it was really cool that sort of creativity in this moment is genius right right like just um just you know a to be able to um get people to connect in this time of physical distancing is brilliant. Number one to like find things to be joyful and hopeful and grateful for is, is another. And it's just, it's really fun to see people doing that. Well, you know, we're getting to watch our colleagues do ministry. Um, Like the people who don't live near us, we're getting to see what they do. And that's such something we don't typically get to experience. Right. To right. We don't get to creep. Do this. <laughs> yeah. So we are totally like the creepster in the back. Incognito. But, but we can in our pajamas, you know, from the comfort of our homes. Yeah. Brilliant. Susie, um, not only do I remember you, but I count you as um, a dear, dear friend. So I'm really grateful we've gotten to talk to you. I think we made it through basically, it was basically a game of 20 questions rather than 30 questions, um, which is totally fun. And I'm (laughs) curious. So we like to end our conversations, like let you end the conversation with, I mean, we'll still say goodbye together, but um, just like, do you have any kind of parting wisdoms or parting comments or a joke or question for us? Um, obviously, there's so much I want to know about both of you, um, but I would prefer to do that. <laughs> right. 
I'm just grateful because this all came out on a whim. I'd like to warn your audience that if you should you call either one of these individuals, you may days late <laughs> podcast with them. So word of caution. But um, no, I think I would just like to say that um, that you guys are both a pleasure. Um, and I know Malachi was referencing our meeting. I'm pretty sure that I had met a coworker at a hotel at annual conference for coffee to discuss work stuff. Um, when Malachi so sweetly came and asked if he could join me and I was like, no, <laughs> this is really uncomfortable. I'm sorry. So I want to apologize to Malachi for our awkward um, first encounter because every encounter after has been an absolute delight. Um, and it's just a pleasure. Oh my it's gosh. It's so funny how our little insular world, like where we all overlap and all these things in our time in our little Minnesota conference. Well, once yeah. once Small this world. um first wave passes, gonna hitchhike my way up to Painville and hug you and we'll get um we'll all get some some nice uh drinks over at local blend and it'll be wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, that would that sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man, we need to practice being okay with this new normal, and that is just going to be something that I'm wrestling yeah. with every day. I think so. Well, I'm so thankful for both of you. Thanks for working working with our new technology, and I'm so grateful. So we'll talk to you both soon. All right. All right thank, thank you. you guys.